0: This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria.
1: Welcome to IMI Tech Talk. It's the first Sunday of October. It's October fourth, two 2015, my niece's birthday. Happy birthday, Alexa. And uh, we're here in uh, New York, uh, Getting wet but avoiding the hurricane. Uh we're on at six PM in the New York listening area and that's going to change soon. And three p.m. in Arizona and that's not going to change. They don't believe in daylight savings time. We're live from our New York offices and we're going to be discussing the future of healthcare with our guest, John Patrick. I'm Tom DiOria. I'm the CEO of Information Methods, Incorporated, and together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with their increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with their industry-wide report which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to Tech Talk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else that might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listing area, call us toll free at 1-866-536-1100. To send an email question, you can do that at techtalk at uscom And we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you can't get to your radio but you want to listen to us live, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right hand corner of the home screen is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. You can download all the shows, listen to them as many times as you want, send them to your friends. It's free, so please take advantage of that. And please call it any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. The first segment's our weekly review is your increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dan Dioria, Dave Brandon, and Jose Batista. Krames tells us that the farm-to-fridge category has hit some speed bumps recently, but Brooklyn startup Farmingo is going strong. The Gowanus-based enterprise, which delivers fresh harvests from local farms to households, has raised $16 million in a Series B round, the company announced. The new investor, Formation 8 Partners, led the funding round, uh, with participation from existing investors Benchmark Capital and Sharebrook Capital, Farmingo is using the money to continue growing its engineering and logistics backbone in Guanacaste, where it is moving to a new headquarters. It would also expand its footprint beyond the New York-New Jersey region and Northern California by launching its service in the Seattle area. Farmingo's funding follows an announcement in August by rival Good Eggs that it was shutting down in New York, Los Angeles, and New Orleans operations to focus on its home market of San Francisco. Romingo has also put its marketing focus on the suburbs, where there is less competition from farmers' markets and people are already in their cars and can pick up their orders on their way home. Uh, That's interesting because we have a lot of farmers' markets in the suburbs of New York. Capital New York tells us the Federal Bureau of Ocean Energy Management's announcement that it would auction 344,000 acres of ocean off the coast of New Jersey for wind power should have been met with enthusiasm by clean energy advocates and environmental groups. Instead... It serves only as a reminder that offshore wind development has languished in the bureaucratic mire for the better part of Governor Christie's tenure, and critics say it was about remaining the same until he leaves office, about 50 miles to the northeast. However, clean energy developers and state policymakers are expressing increased optimism over the future of wind power off the New York coast. The Board of Public Utilities, much like New York's Public Service Commission, is controlled by the governor even though Christie signed the Offshore Wind Economic Development Act in 2010, or 2010, directing the BPU to develop a renewable energy program for offshore wind. The BPU has allowed the act to lay dormant for five years. New York's geography, combined with the Wall Cylinder's push uh, as part of Cuomo's administration and scaled-up renewable energy is making a possibility of offshore wind an increasingly safe bet but equal enthusiasm seems to be lacking in New Jersey, except some Democrats, despite similar potential to reap the power of wind, there is no coherent renewable energy policy coming from the Christie administration. Okay, that's Capitol New York. That's their opinion. We're not going to get involved in the politics of uh, wind between New York and New Jersey and Christie and Kuhn. the News tells us that, when, the Henry Hutt, when Henry Hudson arrived in Manhattan 400 years ago, it was a plush landscape, not the concrete jungle it is today. Uh, the Up project is giving people a glance at that time with a new interactive map that allows users to transition between the Manhattan streets from past to present. All of Manhattan looked like Central Park from above, completely green and filled with trees. Sliding a bar on the bottom of the map to the present will show you on. That only the park remains noticeably green today. Each block is clickable by hovering over a map and opens pop-up screen that provides information from Wildlife Conservation Society. When Henry Hudson arrived on Manhattan in 1609, it was the home to the Lenape Indians. Walika means my good home in Lenape, according to the Walika Project. The name Manhattan came from the Lenape word Manahatta, which is often said to mean the land of many hills. should have said the land of many trees, and that would have fit. Okay. The news also tells us that ever wonder what your friends really think of you? Well, now you can find out if you want to know. Peep.ly, P-E-P-L-E, which is being called the Yelp for Humans, is an app that will let users rate anyone they know and frequently interact with. In a way, it's the first online rating system that lets people give a one star to a person who is mediocre and five stars to someone who is an outstanding person. Julia Kordaif, co-founder of Peeply, said that the app is meant to have integrity and be a place where people post positive views of others rather than being a forum where people are bullied and shamed. Well, I hope they have some control over that. Most people on Twitter who have caught wind of the app have expressed concern... They believe that being reviewed without consent is a violation, potentially lead to other problems. I would think so. One of the major concerns with people is that even a person can't opt out from being reviewed, even if they're being reviewed positively. The founders said users will be able to claim their profiles, but they haven't decided yet if people log in and delete their profiles. People is not out to the public yet. Beta testing will begin in November, and the app will officially launch. On iOS later this that month, the app is a success. It will launch on Android and possibly on the desktop. Well, I certainly don't agree with that. That's my opinion. Uh, Amazon is getting competitive with sales. The online retailer will ban all sales of Apple TV and Google Chromecast. Both streaming devices are... The Fire TV and Fire TV Stick biggest competitors in the market. Amazon reportedly sent that amendment to all third-party merchants, saying that their products will disappear from the site on October 29. The memo also highlight the effect immediately no new listings of such project products are permitted. Streaming devices such as Roku and the Xbox and PlayStation 4 will not be affected by Amazon's new strategy. The Amazon Fire Stick connects to HDMI TV ports and allows users to stream content from Netflix, Hulu, HBO Now, and other services. Okay. We're going to take a break. This is Tom or an IMIS Tech Talk on KFNX AM eleven hundred. Uh, It's the 4th of October, 2014. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk to you about the future of health care. So please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk. It's Sunday, October 4th, 2015. I'm Tom DiOria. And I promised you uh, before the break, Today's show is we're going to tell you about the future of healthcare. Don't we all need to know about that? Our guest is Dr. John R. Patrick. He's the president of Attitude LLC and former vice president of Internet technology at IBM, where he worked for 35 years. In addition to holding a doctorate in healthcare administration, Dr. Patrick has degrees in electrical engineering, management, and law. Uh, he has more than four decades of experience in business and nine years of serving on the hospital. The board of a hospital. John's new book, Health Attitude, takes his visionary view and applies it to the world of healthcare, predicting its path and challenges for the next for the years to come. Uh, John, thanks a lot for being with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, a pleasure, Tom. So that's a lot of stuff to cover here in terms of uh, what your new book is going to cover, and uh, let's start. At the real basics, and maybe you can uh, give our, our listeners a little bit about the basis of where, what this is all about. In terms of you know, what do we mean by healthcare, and then we can get into what the future is and technology and all that good stuff. But let's let's talk about the areas of healthcare that you're concerned about. Focusing on is it the whole gamut of healthcare? Yes, it's really the American
0: healthcare system. It's almost twenty percent of the economy. And it touches every single one of us every day in some way, either with our own health or the health of a family member or a neighbor or friend. And the system is less than perfect. It has a lot of problems. It's a long list, actually, of problems. But the number one problem that we have as a country with our healthcare system is the cost. We spend in America twice as much per person as other developed countries, and frankly, our care is is not twice as good. In fact, arguably, versus some countries, it's not as good. So we have a lot of uh, issues to tackle, cost being the biggest one, the reasons for the cost, uh, again, a long list, but the number one thing is the unnecessary tests and procedures that we undergo. We have a big health care appetite in America. We have a headache. We want to see a brain surgeon. We have a sore knee. We want an MRI the same day and a knee replacement next week. And I'm exaggerating slightly, but not that much. So we have a lot of challenges there. The bottom line uh, for me is actually one of optimism. I think a lot of really good things are happening. We have... Uh, a, a major piece of legislation, a reform act that's it's been in place now for five years called the Affordable Care Act. It has a lot of critics. Uh, it has a lot of problems and things that need to be uh, improved significantly, uh, but there are some good parts to it that we rarely hear about that are changing the way providers of health care are compensated and that are putting more focus on patient safety and quality. Uh, the government is uh, is embracing what we call M-Health, which stands for mobile health, which is a whole new category of things that we can do with our smartphones that are going to lower the cost of health care and improve our health at the same time. So
1: a lot of good things happening. I'm optimistic, but we have many challenges. Well, I definitely agree with you about uh, getting a lot of tests. Ever since I went on Medicare, it seems that uh, I've had more tests than I've had in the previous sixty years of my life. Um, yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about um, about technology and and mobile health devices. Um, we we see and you can maybe give us a, a good determination and give us the the difference between the mobile health devices that you may be referring to versus the uh, like Fitbit health devices. Uh, There are a lot of apps out there. Um, Are there things that can really help diagnose disease and and give us early warning? Absolutely. The way to think
0: of mHealth is to start with these devices that we have in our pockets and purses. We call them smartphones, and we sort of take that term, smart, uh, for granted, that's just, just what we call them, but when you uh, think about what they really represent, it, it's quite amazing, actually. I can remember quite well back in 1976 when Seymour Cray, who was a, a brilliant computer engineer, developed the world's first supercomputer, and scientists and engineers had been looking for this for a a long time. They had uh, a long list of things they wanted to do to analyze the structure of bridges and to analyze and forecast the weather and analyze thermonuclear weapons and so many other things, but they just didn't have the computer power to be able to do it until this supercomputer came along. This supercomputer weighed five tons. It cost $5 million. It used the electricity of 20 homes, and it's a little bit less than 1% as powerful as an iPhone. In other words, we have in our pockets and purses a supercomputer, and this supercomputer can do some pretty amazing things. So mobile health, the, the simplest way to think of it is, is a Fitbit in your pocket counting your steps, and that's, that's a good thing. But there's so much more we can do with this supercomputer in our pocket. Uh, one company called AliveCore, has a little strip a sensor that fits on the back of the iPhone. you hold it up with uh, two fingers of each hand, you press the button on the app, and you get a 30 second EKG. Another startup company has devised a, an attachment that fits over the camera of the of the iPhone, it has a slot in it. You take one drop of blood, put it on a piece of, on a piece of paper, a little strip, put that in the slot, and you get your cholesterol analysis. And many, many more. There are over 200 examples like this of of devices that can actually perform tests that previously required us to get in the car and drive across town and make an appointment and wait in line and so on. So this has very significant implications down the road. It certainly will reduce the cost of healthcare, It will eliminate a lot of unnecessary tests and more importantly it will allow us as consumers to be able to gather data about ourselves so that we can sit down with a physician or have a Skype session with a physician and give them this data and then collaborate with them to determine a diagnosis of our particular condition and develop a treatment plan. So it's going to empower us as consumers to be Part of the solution, and not just sit there and let the doctor tell us what's
1: wrong and what needs to be done. Well, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. I mean, uh, I'll digress a little bit because uh, Seymour Craig was uh, an ACM member, and I was on the board for a long time. So I go oh, way good. back. I go way back to then with with him. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I was running data centers. Uh, for columbia university when and the city of new york where you'd have an entire building filled with a computer that had less computer power and we thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread and had right. less com- less computer power than my iphone so you're 100 percent right and most of today's kids and you know people in their 20s have no idea that that transition so um it's interesting now for These apps to be successful, and we only got a minute left in the segment, so I'll introduce the subject and we can we can get to it. The doctors and the service other service providers really have to be up to speed on this. Is is that going to become a a stumbling point uh, for this whole thing to get implemented, or or is the medical profession embracing this and seeing it as something that allows them to do their job better, faster? Less expensive, or are they seeing it as something that's going to not make them obsolete, but reduce a lot of their income from other sources if I can be so. You have a minute to start the answer, and then I have to cut you off. Well, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's a very good question.
0: There, there are many physicians of all ages, young ones and, and older ones, that are embracing this and, and really exploiting it uh, very nicely. Others uh, don't want to change, and they see it as an intrusion on the way things used to be and the way they would like them to remain to be. So it's, it's not consistent, but uh, there's no question that this is going to be successful because consumers are going to demand it we're going to realize that we can be part of our own healthcare and people are realizing that if you track your health you're going to be healthier
1: and now we're going to have a lot
0: a lot of new ways to do this and the the, the big c word is going to be a driver here and the c is convenience Just think what's involved in a blood test today, where you have to get in the car, drive across town, you have to make an appointment, and you don't even know if you're going to get the data, and certainly not when you're going to get it. It
1: it certainly takes a long time, and on that note, hold that C in your mind. We're going to take a break. This is Tom DiOrio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 4th of October 2015. We're talking to Dr. John Patrick about the future of health care, so please stay tuned. This is a half-hour break. You're going to get the national news. And we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk. We're on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's the 4th of October 2015. And we're talking to Dr. John Patrick about the future of healthcare. And I had to cut him off. Because of the break, but uh, we were talking about the convenience both to the patient and to the doctors and healthcare providers of these new apps that are becoming available. Why don't you continue that thought? Uh, I, I apologize for cutting you off there, but obviously it's convenient. I mean, you know, you go to the doctor, you have a blood test, and you wait forever to get the results back. It'd be nice to be able to take a blood test and have them tell you what the story is.
0: Exactly right, Tom. You know.
1: Some physicians uh, they have a
0: concern about m health because of the potential for self diagnosis and they think self diagnosis might lead to self prescribing and self destruction but there's some really interesting breakthroughs happening with m health that are going to change the the relationship between patients and physicians for example there's an app that's called Isabel and Isabel is a diagnostic app for the consumer you can get it at the app store put it on your iphone you simply tap your age your gender what part of the world you're from and then you put in symptoms that you might have i have a runny nose or i have a headache or my wrist hurts or i have i'm dizzy or all, all the symptoms you can think of you enter them and you hit the button on the app and it then uses a, a technology called differential diagnosis and it compares all the symptoms that you entered to a database of 6,500 different diseases. and it returns in, in just a, in a few seconds with a prioritized list based on probability of a match of the disease that you may have. And again, some physicians resist this, but others, See this as a great productivity aid for them. It allows them to have a, a head start on the diagnostic process uh, and work with the patient to come up with a treatment plan. If you asked a doctor, how many, what, what's your accuracy? You know, how many times do you get a diagnosis exactly right? I think most doctors would say, oh, well, 80, 85 percent. Some may say 90 or 95. I don't think any would say 100. Some would say 50. Uh, This Isabel technology has been been tested uh, rigorously with scientific methods uh, against thousands of situations and been shown to be 95% accurate. So this is an example of what this little supercomputer in our pocket can do for us. And as I say, initially there's some resistance, but I believe this is going to become a real productivity factor uh, and it will result in better diagnoses of conditions and in turn lead to better treatments.
1: That's really amazing ninety five percent. are there any liability aspects to this? Do you see the people developing the apps causing any issues? It certainly is a possibility
0: if if people get an app, kind of a, of an app, but the FDA is really looking at this pretty closely uh, in a positive way, they' they're they're embracing it and they're approving apps and devices. Uh, Simple little things like uh, a company called Kinza, K-I-N-S-A, makes a thermometer, a flexible thermometer. It plugs into the audio jack of an iPhone, and then you place the thermometer in a a child's mouth, for example. You indicate, is this Billy or Sally or Mommy or Daddy or the dog? And then you uh, take the temperature. It takes about five seconds to get an FDA-approved temperature. Uh, And you then indicate how you feel. Do you have chills or a headache, things of that nature? And it creates a log of information, which you can then share
1: with a doctor. So let's go back to the, um, well, I guess back to the doctors using this, but also how pervasive is this? Because I haven't heard a lot um, from the people we deal with about them using this. Where is it? Is it? You know, in various places across the country, is it centralized in large cities? Um, how's the how are the apps getting out there, and who's who do you see uh, from your experience using it? Yeah, well, people are talking about it in in the
0: social media. You know, if you do a, a web search on mHealth devices, uh, you'll find a lot of them. Uh, it, it is in the early stage. Uh, I would say the number one. M Health app is, it, at the moment is is fitness, you know, simple things, counting our steps. Uh, but it's growing rapidly, and the the industry is estimated to be around a half a billion dollars already in various devices. And uh, every day there's something new. Uh, right now, I'm we're sitting here wearing uh, an Apple Watch. The Apple Watch is actually an M Health device. It's monitoring my cardiac activity as we speak and it's recording all of my heart activity in an app on the iPhone called Health and that health app can then be linked to the electronic health record maintained by uh, a provider uh, Cedar Sinai Hospital for example in in uh, Los Angeles has done this for 80,000 patients they've ma- they've actually connected the electronic health record with the Apple Health app so now think about what it means to a cardiologist who is taking care of congestive heart failure patients. By the way, the number one reason people go to the hospital, congestive heart failure. So that CHF patient goes to see the cardiologist for a checkup, and what does the cardiologist say? Well, let's see, let me flip through this manila folder here and see You know, what was your heart activity last month. And now we're going to say, well, wait a minute, just take a look at the, at the health app, you can see what it is every minute, of every second of every minute, hour of every day. And you can see patterns of what's going on with my heart activity. And you can maybe give that data to IBM's Watson supercomputer and have an analysis done almost instantly to show what's going on with
1: my heart. This is going to be dramatic. So, I mean, do these apps, um, let's take that specific app. Will it indicate anomalies where it'll tell you? However, it would do that—that that there's a situation you need to call your doctor right away, or send the information to the doctor right away, or is it still not at that point?
0: No, it, it, it certainly is,
1: and you can look at uh, actually look at the data. You can take your blood pressure
0: every day with, with a cuff and, and store that in the iPhone and, and the iHealth app. It's called. Uh, allows you to keep uh, a record of that and you can see if there's any abnormalities it it'll show a red, green or yellow based on uh, the blood pressure readings that you get and and this is really Tom this is just the beginning you know I mean I, I feel like this is sort of like maybe 1997 with the web uh, and, and growing rapidly as the web was at, at that time and, and in a few years we'll take this for granted and we'll be able to do a lot of things at home. That previously required a trip across town, including things like kidney dialysis. Really? Uh, yeah. There's a company that, that makes a a device. It's about the size of a Foot Locker. Well, not even that big. It's more like a, a big toaster. And it produces its own solution. It, it uh, distills water, uh, and it steps the patient through through an interactive. Uh, flat panel display. How to perform the the kidney dialysis with with no medical practitioner present. Uh, really. this, is, this is going to be huge.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, well, tell me about tell me about uh, kiosks. What are they? What's that all about? And how does that create uh, an environment for a virtual doctor's visit?
0: Well, a kiosk is, is really just a, a way to communicate uh, over the internet. And, you know, uh, it, a kiosk used to be a, a, a big physical thing, you know, a big booth like a phone booth. Uh, but today a kiosk it basically can be, a, you know, a MacBook or a, a flat panel display or, or even an iPad. And when the iPad Pro comes out, uh, that's going to be a, a big hit, I think, in healthcare because that can be a kiosk. And what that means is that, for example, you could go to a CVS uh, Minute Clinic and see a nurse practitioner or an APRN or, you know, a, a phys- what they call physician extenders, uh, let's just say for, for discussion, a, a nurse. And the nurse can do a preliminary diagnosis using various devices and questions and so on. And then, uh, if appropriate, can say, okay, I'm pretty sure what you have is... is this type of infection, but I want uh, you to review this with a doctor and then you hand them an iPad and they connect through that kiosk with the uh, live with the doctor uh, with like Skype or, or FaceTime and the, the doctor discusses with the patient and in about five minutes that doctor will verify or not, what the diagnosis is, and make a recommendation, including prescribing drugs, which, of course, can then be uh, picked up right there in the drugstore, and, and you go home happy. That's pretty interesting. I really like that. Yeah. We're going to take it's a happening, break. Happening, uh, it's unfolding pretty rapidly. Cleveland Clinic just announced a $49 telehealth visit. So other huh. words, anybody in America, for $49, you can go to Cleveland Clinic's website, and in, within one minute... Within one minute, you're, you'll be uh, having a video dialogue with a
1: healthcare practitioner. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. On that note, we're going to take a break. We're talking to Dr. John Patrick about the future of healthcare, and we're going to need four or five more shows to get all of this in. It's October 4th, 2015. I'm Tom DiOri, and this is KFNX's uh, IMI's Tech Talk. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after those messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria and it's the 4th of October 2015 and our guest today is Dr. John Patrick and we're talking about the future of healthcare and Dr. Patrick wrote a new book called Health Attitude. John, can you tell us a little bit about that uh, before we get back to talking about uh, the future of healthcare?
0: Sure, thank you. Yeah, Health Attitude is a, is a book that I researched for for quite some time to try to understand what was really going on in in American healthcare and it just seemed to me that there were so many problems. I decided to learn as much as possible and write a book to, to share with with others what's really going on. The book basically is just is about the American healthcare system, what's wrong with it and how to fix it. It focuses on on the costs on the technology, on the policy, all aspects of healthcare, And I hope people will, will read it and find uh, that they now know a lot of what's going on and, and they'll feel optimistic about the future of healthcare. And where can they get the book, all the typical places? All the typical places. It's, it's available, of course, in print, but also on Kindle and also in uh, audible format or Apple uh, audiobooks. So there's four different ways to get it. That's terrific. Yeah, um, healthattitude.org uh, will have has links directly to those various uh, outlets.
1: Okay, I have uh, uh, a couple more questions I'd like to get in here, but uh, uh, electronic health records. Um, right. Obviously, this lens, this technology lends itself because everything is electronic. Uh, you know, I go to my cardiologist; he gives me six pages based on my. Recent visit, his part of electronic uh, uh, medicine is dictating into it, so it types it automatically. That's his, his electronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get these some number of pages of uh, paper, which it tells me to carry around with me, so when I have a heart attack, I can show it to somebody. Well, that doesn't sound too practical to me. Will this lend itself to if somebody has a catastrophic event in their lives, health-related, that, you know, you have the watch on and the EMS guy that shows up can plug into it and find out your medical history? Is that in the future here? Absolutely. Yeah, it's really important. Electronic health records,
0: I, I describe them as something that we can't live without but something that we're having trouble living with. And the reason is because there are 250 software vendors that make these electronic health record software systems, and they're incompatible. And this is an area where the government, in my opinion, has let us down a little bit uh, and made it too easy for uh, the lobbyists to, to convince Congress to not meddle. It's an area where they should have meddled. Uh, look at the Internet. You know, it works exactly the same everywhere in the world exactly the same everywhere in the world look at credit cards you can use a credit card anywhere in the world no problem but when it comes to electronic health records you can go to the emergency department of a hospital they create a lot of data entered into their system and they can't share it with the operating room where you might have to go so it's it's a big problem on the one hand but on the other hand uh, it's going to happen. They're going to become compatible. There, there's, there are efforts underway, and over the next few years, I, I feel they'll be highly compatible, and this is important for population health. We can't go on treating people one at a time individually. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense. We need to look at the, at the population that's served by a hospital, for example, and understand the health of that group of people and then design clinics that can apply to many people, not just to one person. And this will also help reduce uh, the cost of care and will allow people to stay out of the hospital more. And, frankly, that's what people want. People don't want to go to the hospital. They would much rather
1: deal with uh, issues at home if they can. Without a doubt. Um, yeah, We've had shows co- covering... Uh, Medical robots and separate shows on 3D printing not relating to healthcare. Is there a, an aspect of both of these new tech, not new, but technologies that are emerging and becoming a lot more sophisticated in healthcare? Yes, sir, much, much
0: more. Uh, robots, of course, perform surgery every day with the uh, outstanding surgeons that we have uh, at the console. But the robot allows for a much smaller incision, less blood loss, faster release time from the hospital, and faster recovery. But robots will also find their way into the home and be v- invaluable for helping uh, chronically ill patients, uh, helping to rehabilitate stroke patients, for example. Uh, robots will become uh, a big part of our lives uh, in a positive way. And 3D printing, uh, it's quite amazing what what that's going to be able to do. Uh, today it's, it, it has already been used to print, uh, heel bones of patients. Uh, a man in the UK had a, a half of his face, uh, replaced. You know, he had a horrible cancer which ate away the, the bone, uh, of his face and they were able to use a CAT scan and 3D printing to create a new one, uh, and implant it into the person's head uh the children have been lives have been saved by being able to print uh esophageal structures to to keep their esophagus from from closing which is a, a very rare but uh, uh lethal disease that, that had no cure previously uh and in the future we're going to see the ability to print uh tissues of organs uh for example printing a, a piece of liver tissue, maybe let's say two inches by four inches, and printing with stem cells of the patient. These are called pluripotent stem cells. They're stem cells that have the way a way to morph into any kind of cell. So when they print this tissue and implant it into the liver of a patient, the the uh, cells become liver cells, and they grow into the liver and help restore a failing organ. This is called regenerative medicine, and it, it's it's phenomenal and it's it's
1: real. It's it's going to be very important in the years ahead. So I gather you're very optimistic about the uh, the future of healthcare uh, in the United States. I, I am, uh, Tom. I'm very optimistic. Uh,
0: I don't mean to. Uh, you know, to look past the, the problems, there are many current problems, the, the high cost I already mentioned. We have quality problems, you know, people die from medical errors that that, that shouldn't happen. Uh, we have uh, insurance problems, we have deductibles that are growing like crazy that, that are very difficult for people to, to handle. We have people going bankrupt because they can't afford this expensive care. We have tens of thousands of uh, people that die every year because they don't have health insurance, and we have 35 or 40 million people that have no insurance at all. So we have a lot of issues that, that need to be dealt with. But if you look at the big picture and look at the technology trends,
1: uh, I see a very positive future for all of this. One last question, which is, we touched on this earlier. Are the schools that, you know the schools that are teaching doctors, Uh, nurses, are they bringing in classes related to this type of technology so that coming out of school uh, they have some background in in what you've just described here in this hour? Um, Absolutely. Is there continuing education for doctors to let them know about this so they could try it out and see whether or not it's appropriate for their practice? I mean, or is it just pie-in-the-sky type stuff?
0: No, it's not not at all. It's it's very real.
1: Uh, medical students, uh, uh, there
0: are more of them than, than ever. You know, some people say, "Oh, well, nobody wants to be a doctor anymore because of all these problems." That's not true. A lot, lots of people want to be doctors, and they're really really smart people, uh, and they're young people that have never lived a day of their life when there wasn't the web, and so they look at things differently. A survey just came out about how medical students feel about. Uh, mobile health and consults through Skype-like, uh, s- services and how they feel about 3D printing and robots. Uh, a hospital today that offers surgical services and doesn't have a robot will have a tough time recruiting students. You know, they, they
1: learn on robots and
0: that's the way they want to do it because they know it's better.
1: I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This is really an informative show. We're going to have to have you back on again to catch us up on, on where this is all going and maybe some of the the newer advancements. Tell our listeners if they want to follow up with you the best way to do that. Yeah, well, they can visit healthattitude.org, and you'll
0: find everything about me and everything about the, uh, my book. I have a new book coming out, by the way, called Net Attitude about the Internet, and that will be coming out in October Uh, And
1: anybody can reach me at john at healthattitude.org. And you mentioned a website before for finding out all these apps out there. What was that? Uh, If you visit my blog, attitudellc.org,
0: you'll find a a, a whole section on mHealth, and it will show many, many postings about these various devices.
1: Attitudellc.org. Thanks again, Dr. John Patrick. We really appreciate you being on the show. Real pleasure. Thank you. Next week, we're going to be live from our New York offices, uh, and uh, we're going to have our week in review. We're going to have uh, James Pooley on the show, and he's going to be discussing managing sensitive company info in the age of social media. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, I Am President, Dave Brandon, Dandy Orion, and Jose Batista for the week in review. Taylor Redden's our producer. Tess Henshaw is our associate producer. Matt Campagny is our executive producer. And without the help of Robert Bombach and the KFNX AM 1100 production department, not a word would you hear. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 6 p.m. In New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to Tech Talk at imi-us.com. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening.